Welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole, everybody. I'm Jeremy, your host, and today I have Andrew and CJ. We're going to talk about the missing 401 phenomenon again. CJ, Andrew, how are you guys doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, <clears throat> I am doing okay, um, and I uh, just want to take the, the time out uh, right now just to say, uh, even though I'm new to the show, um, I just want to mention mental health is a thing, guys. Um, please uh, reach out to uh, someone if you need something. Unfortunately, I had a friend uh, commit suicide this week. Um, so please uh, reach out to people. There are There is a suicide prevention line. Um, not to bring uh, a super downer to the show, but um, everyone, please... Just reach out to someone uh, if you feel you're in some type of way. I agree, man. Hey, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Uh, I hope that everything's okay. I hope that his family's doing all right. That is very important. If anybody's feeling stressed at a point to their, where they think they need to end their own life, uh, please think again. Reach out to somebody, like Andrew said. Hell, if you, if you even want to send uh, Infinite Rabbit Hole an email and chat with us. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm always monitoring the email and i'll be more than happy to talk to you for a little bit okay it's a very 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 serious topic and i hope that nobody out there is currently fighting that battle and if you are just know that you're not alone all right so today we are revisiting an old topic this is the first time that we're doing it guys we're going to go back and dive into our national park mysteries series we're going to be talking about Cases from the new Missing 401, The Hunted documentary on YouTube. The last time we visited the National Park Mysteries Missing 401 phenomenon, we talked about the self-titled Missing 401 documentary on YouTube where a lot of children went missing. There were some very abnormal cases uh, surrounding a lot of very abnormal events. I, I, that's the best way I can describe it. I want to build upon those episodes when we were talking about Mr. Polites, David Polites, who is the founder of the Missing 401 movement and the Can-Am Project. He comes out in this new documentary and immediately highlights these 11, what he calls profile points. Basically, he says that these are common factors in missing cases that the 401 phenomenon uh, tracks. So I want to take a second to kind of talk about these so we can put everybody on track of what actually qualifies for a missing 401 case. So the first one is the point of separation. And that's when a victim officially separates from a party. Now, um, let's say that the three of us, myself, Andrew, and CJ are walking through the woods and CJ sees something shiny in the ground, stops, and me and Andrew keep walking and we're joking and smoking and we're having a good time, right? And CJ looks up after he found like this bottle cap in the ground and he's so enthralled in it. He looks up and he's like, where did everybody go? I'm lost. Boom. That is the point of separation. CJ is now lost. Me and Andrew are going on our merry way. Eventually we turn around and we find out that CJ is no longer there. And he took, you know, I don't know. He went down the left side of the forking path and we went down the right. So now we're separate. That is the point of separation. Uh, time of disappearance. Uh, most, most common time of the day of disappearances is mid, mid to late hours. Um, so when 
the missing 401 cases or a lot of the missing 401 cases actually take place where the time of disappearance was in these late hours. Uh, boulder fields are is another profile point that is commonly referred to in these cases. A lot of victims go missing near granite or rock fields. Um, another bullet point is near water, rivers, streams, ponds, swamps, lakes. Uh, water is a common factor in a lot of these. Another common factor is there is an underlying and, and not so obvious disability or illness. Uh, sometimes it is a known disability or illness. Uh, one of the more eye-opening points in some of these cases, most of these cases actually, is that canines can't track the person that's missing. For some reason, either a canine loses the, the smell or the canine gets actually physically afraid of the area and refuses to go into an area where the trail leads into. Another one is that a lot of times either a body or a live person is found in an area that was already previously searched. Another profile point is missing clothing. A lot of times, a lot of these victims are missing clothing. That is a very common thing with hypothermia. <clears throat> Shoes are one of the most common piece of clothing that's either found or a victim is found without shoes. The second to last profile point is an unknown cause of death. A lot of times there is uh, a cause of death that is mysterious. Like what? how did this happen? A coroner can't explain as to what actually caused the death of the victim. And then the very last profile point, which we talked about a little bit on uh, National Park Mysteries Part 1, is the geographical clusters. Now, there are dozens of these clusters throughout the United States, mainly focusing on national forests, uh, national parks, forest reserves, wildlife reserves, where these people go missing. And a lot of times they'll range from anywhere between three people to 80 people missing in these clusters. Now that we talked about some of the things that, that qualifies a case for a missing 411 case, there are four factors that will exclude a case from being investigated as a missing 401 case. One of them is a clear mental illness. Now, if someone clearly suffers from a mental illness, the missing 411 will not investigate the case. If it's a voluntary disappearance, such as a suicide, and this is clear, they will not investigate the case. If there's clear criminal activity, they will not investigate the case. And the last one is signs of an animal attack. They also will not investigate the case. Now, to be clear, these will only exclude a case if there are clear signs of any of these conditions. As we talked about in National Park Mysteries Part 1 and Part 2, and we're going to talk about today, a lot of these, we will speculate that an animal attack has happened, there was some foul play involved, or maybe someone committed suicide. But none of these are clear. Everything is still a mystery, so that's why Missing 401 is investigating. And just as a prerequisite, if anybody is interested in finding more material, such as the stuff that we're going to go over today, please revisit some of our earlier episodes in Season 1, National Park Mysteries Part 1 and National Park Mysteries Part 2. They are very well, uh, good performing episodes of ours, and a lot of people like them. So give it a shot. Guys, you guys got anything to put out before we jump into our first case? No. Nope. Uh, I'm curious, though. Um... <clears throat> with the guy that uh what i actually saw there's no digital copies of his books are they all just physical and uh or like documentaries obviously like people covering it on youtube or something 
But like to read the books, you have to get like a physical copy, right? As far as I know, I'm sure there's there's digital copies out there somewhere. Um, that's a really good question. Well, yeah, because that's the. I read something. I don't know if it's still current because the the thing I'm reading is from like two years ago. But there was a question about like digital copies, and they were saying like he only does physical like physical books, which I understand. Like digital copy would be if you're trying to prevent someone from leaking it so you're still getting paid but like isn't the idea of trying to get this information out well it's the same thing with um how the government's not really providing that information either about like these missing cases yeah so there's this huge conspiracy that's surrounding david Pilates. And we talked about it a little bit in uh, National Park Mysteries Part 1, is that this guy is a known Bigfoot enthusiast. He is a researcher for, for Bigfoot, and he actually has a Bigfoot research organization. He's also a retired police officer or detective. I can't remember exactly. Uh, forgive me there. But there's a lot of people that say that this guy is out there to make a dime. You know, he's out there to make money. And, you know, that is a, a very good piece of evidence that actually might, you know, lean towards that yeah maybe he uh maybe he is out there just to make a a, a penny i you know who knows um you would think that with all of the digital readers out there now you know people reading uh full-length books on their phones and their their tablets and their laptops now that there would be digital copies of these that he could still make money off of and not produce a physical book um yeah. and you know yeah you know, keep costs down and stuff I mean, me and CJ got duped into buying a book off of uh, mm -hmm. someone mm -hmm. that was a, a digital copy, only digital. He had there was no physical. Just uh, speaking, just like uh, obviously because I'm no expert <clears throat> or anything like that, but just like just like a thought, but like maybe the the idea behind having uh, strictly physical copies is maybe because the people that are reading digital books aren't really like his target audience he's looking for those people that go outside and do physical things you know and i kind of feel like in a way it might make sense that like someone who gets most of their reading done in a digital platform may not be one of those people who's inclined to spend lots of time in nature and that the people who are like hunting or uh, fishing a lot or hiking or going on these road trips or camping, they're going to be taking physical books because, you know, you're up in the mountains. Good luck getting a signal out there. So, I mean, and then I'll, that's just personal experience for me. Is, um, I do have a couple of digital books myself uh, for like esoteric things. Um, and I got to say that I don't appreciate them the way I appreciate a physical book. Like when you first get that book and you open it up and like the smell of brand new book hits you. It's like one of the best things in the world. It. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It. Yeah. So it's like part of like the experience. So like maybe, maybe it's, it's just like his target audience isn't reading digital books really, you know? Actually, it does make sense that you're saying like the Wi-Fi connection or whatever. Um, I feel like though you, there are things nowadays that you can download books before you leave, but it, it's basically what you're saying just having that hard copy or whatever. And I, I have like fond memories of like reading books back in like middle school and high school when I was on like summer vacations out on the beach or something like that. So um, it was definitely something to 
to feel the page turn in your hands definitely nice. yeah, maybe, so, maybe i'm just yeah. maybe i'm just biased because like i mean i i have like a full bookshelf now at home and like i feel like that <laughs> champion when i see it like it's a, it's a whole bookshelf of books and you feel good about it like man i got books look at this shit they're like little trophies sitting up on the shelf man really they really are i love books they are me too <laughs> me too anyways um good question though andrew that's actually a very good point whenever we record uh national park mysteries part four maybe we'll report back on that if we can find anything uh, that would be something interesting to to update the the listeners on. I'm I'm actually very interested in that myself. I unfortunately don't own any of his books. They're actually very expensive, and that could also be something that's very uh, interesting too, because they they are quite. I mean, like I mean, like what's what's expensive? They said twenty five bucks. That's not expensive, dude. Hold on. If you if you if you look for his books anywhere other than his website, they're like a hundred something dollars. Oh, that's pretty wild. Are you, you kidding? Yeah, if you go to Amazon, right, and you look up missing four on one book, it's hold on. I'm bringing it up right now. Let's say like, because depending on depending on the book, like I've paid like my my Quoria. Uh, the Apprentice volume that I have was fifty dollars, and like that's about normal for a decent hardcover book of any substance, anyway. Check it out, right? Uh, the first couple uh, things that they brought back, right? Missing four hundred and one Western United States and Canada unexplained disappearances of North Americans that have never been solved. One hundred and sixty nine dollars and ninety eight cents paperback. Oh wow, paperback. Yep. Missing 401 Hunters Volume 1 paperback, $110.99. Bro, that's insane. Yep. Missing 401 North America and beyond. Stories of people who have disappeared in remote locations of North America and five other countries, paperback, $143.59. I'm just going to say I looked at eBay and there's one for Eastern and North America for $7 used. Uh, I, I'm I'm getting a used copy, regardless. Even if it says coffee stains, I don't have a hundred dollars to throw at books like that. God, for for the price of one of those books, I can bring like four or five home. Jeez, Dude, uh, for one of those books, I could buy a hundred frosties. <laughs> but <laughs> to be fair, if you go directly to his website, Canam Project, they're much cheaper, much cheaper. So I don't. I it's it's definitely the uh, the price that's being put on top of what he's selling it for, like the the markups, probably from multiple parties. But I don't know. It says that it's you know directly by David Pilates in here. I, I don't know why they're so so high. Maybe he's trying to get everyone to just buy it from him directly. You know, uh, I'm sure there's more money in it that way for him. Who knows. If he if he's uh if he's self publishing, he's gonna be selling them to like Amazon for the same price he sells them to you and I, so that would explain like a very high markup. I would assume with how popular this subject is that he's not self self publishing. Um I would assume that there's a publisher out there that pressured him in that there's a contract or something, because this dude's still pumping out new missing four one books. I'm just trying to give the benefit of the doubt that he's not like some money hunting whore. Like, even if he is a sellout, right? He's in that just for money. He has brought a really important subject to the forefront where everyone can sit there and realize there is something going on. I mean, do you blame him for trying to make buck? I don't know, man. 
Oh God, no! I mean, I don't, I don't blame him at all. I'm a, I'm a hardcore capitalist myself. But like, <laughs> get your money, boo boo, and if people are willing to buy it, sell it to them. But um, I don't know. I just see that's that's super steep for book, like it super I steep. I agree. It's like a college textbook price. Like it's crazy. This is what we're gonna try to do now with a new format for the National Park Mysteries episodes that we're going to do. And we're going to try to separate it by these clusters that David Polides has outlined. And the first one we're going to talk about is the Adirondack Mountains in the state of New York. I'm going to start off today with a very brief um, case. And it's not very long, but it's extremely strange. And there's not a lot of information on it. Uh, I will say that this is probably, this is one of the last cases that I found. So, you know, I was kind of a little tired at this point. Um, so feel free, uh, if anybody finds any more information on this case, to reach out to us and let us know because I am super interested in finding out more about it. But let's talk about Constantinos Philippides. I think that's how you spell, uh, pronounce his last name. I apologize if anybody knows the, the correct pronunciation um but aka danny so we're gonna call him danny okay he is 49 years old he went missing on february 7 2018 so this is fairly recent in whiteface mountain new york he is a firefighter from toronto ontario canada so let's first think about exactly who this man is this is a firefighter so you gotta think that this guy is in decent shape decent shape firefighters are ridiculous ridiculously strong so on february 7 2018 danny went missing after going skiing on whiteface mountain in the adirondack mountains in new york state almost a week later danny wakes up in sacramento california confused and still wearing his skiing clothes 2500 miles away from where he was skiing in new york danny told authorities that he has no recollection of what had happened to him the only information that Danny was able to recollect was that he remembers a large cargo truck suffering a head injury, and he slept for almost the entire way. That's it. That's so weird. Right? That's so weird. So if you're going to traffic someone for black market, why would you just leave them in California? I don't know. You know, the article that I was reading on this is that he was dumped off in sacramento like the guy woke up on the side of a building like outside of a building on in an alleyway like you know what this sounds like to me like if i'm just going to put together a story with with the evidence that i found right this sounds like like you said human tra human trafficking and somebody wasn't able to pay when they got to sacramento oh they just Threw him on the side of a building and said, fuck it, leave him here. I'm surprised they didn't kill think, him. You, you would think in the high value, the high value of something such as a uh, trading a human being, that payment is probably taken before the person is. Yeah, but like also double crossing would probably, so like even if you don't have the payment or the person fall, doesn't fall through, most likely they would just resell the person. Like why dump a person off unless he was did he have friends and family that would like put a like missing person out for him or 
Oh yeah, out in Toronto and in uh, New York, where the, the the ski resort was, there was missing persons. There was a full fledged case or search uh, that was going on, with 140 people per day were out looking for him for an entire week before he showed up in Sacramento, California. Maybe it was um maybe it was a mistaken identity. That's a good point too. Maybe you know they uh, they were targeting a specific person. And they got there, and they're like, "Oh crap, this isn't him." And yeah, they, they just they, dumped him. they well, they or they well, I mean, they, they traveled a pretty far away before dumping him. Like they probably snagged him, got to where they were supposed to be, and they they looked at him, and they were like, "Who the fuck is this?" And they were like, "Oh, let's put him in the alleyway now before he wakes up and really knows who we are." I was gonna say underlings wouldn't really. They'd be like, "Oh, this picture looks good enough," and then they get it in front of the boss, and it's just like. Not anywhere close. That's true. That's a very good point, CJ. That that might be exactly what happened. Strange though, isn't it? Yeah. It's odd. Or maybe, you know, we'll get a little woo-woo with it. Maybe uh you know, it could be like a government agency looking to experiment on somebody and did whatever it is they were gonna do and just put them in the alleyway. Let's dive into the conspiratorial rabbit hole here, right? Let's say that a government agency, one of those three-letter acronyms out there, grabbed somebody and performed some sort of experiments that kept them asleep, knocked out, maybe even in a coma, in the back of a semi-truck, you know? Uh, And, man, I don't don't even know how they would end up in Sacramento. Do a little uh, genetic engineering or something on him, implant a device in him, something, and then now they're monitoring monitoring him for the rest of his life to see what sort of reactions he's going to have to whatever it was that they did. Maybe. Ah, man, it's strange. I (laughs) don't even know where to begin with this one. I wish that I had some more time to be able to to research this a little better and provide a little bit more information, but I actually went to three different websites and this is all about, this is all about, I found, I didn't find much. And this isn't necessarily a missing 411 topic, although uh, David Pilates did tweet about it. Um, This is not one that's in one of his books. I just, I saw this and I was like, hmm, this is in the Adirondack Mountains. This is the area that we're covering. Let's throw it in there real quick and see what we can do. Maybe he was a Russian spy. Maybe, maybe. Well, I mean, uh, I did read uh, somewhat recently an article online about an individual who was living in the United States with his family for over 30 years as a Russian spy. And um, the one day... Uh, he received a message. They did like this encoded message. He was in like a subway system. There was a specific marking that was left at, as a graffiti on a wall. Uh, and he saw it. And then that meant something. I don't really remember exactly how the article went. But uh, long said and done, he, he left uh, the whole Russian spy business and started working with the uh, CIA mm. uh, and provided them information about the Russian spy program, the KGB and all that mess. Uh, but that's what they do. Like they, if they, if they have like a spy or something here, they could do that, like relocate you or, or something. But like there, there, there's either, there's either some aspect to this that he's not telling 
um which would lead me to like the maybe he's a spy for somebody conclusion uh or maybe he really is just like some sort of innocent guy who they were like oh that's our guy there and they're like are you sure like yeah it looks like him oh shit he's not our guy get rid of him yeah but it's had that russian spy or at least you know spy i'm not necessarily russian it could be anything but that spy one that's pretty interesting you know what if he did black out after hearing like a trigger word or a trigger phrase and yeah. just booked it on a bus to Sacramento, killed somebody. That's like, that. uh, like some MK Ultra stuff. I mean, you know, honestly, if he if he came down, say say he comes down from Canada, he's going skiing. He re, uh, he's going skiing. He gets to a place because mm. he says he recalls a cargo truck and a head injury, right? But mm-hmm. who who knows if he's telling the truth about that? Anyway, he gets to this drop a drop location, which they would use. They use a drop location, receives orders, a message, something. Heads to, heads to California or or somewhere on the way, does what he needs to do, ends up in Sacramento, comes up with some bullshit story about being in an alleyway, you know, and that's how like like I swear like I'll, I'll see if uh, after we're done recording if I can find this article for you because it was really interesting, but they really live double lives and like their spouses don't know who they are and stuff and there's a whole bunch yeah. of people in the United States who uh, there was another one where a kid uh, found out that his parents were spies for another country and he was 16 years old and he had no idea. And the P the, the, the CIA came and the FBI and they took their parents away for like interrogations. His kid ended up in foster care and he was like, my parents are not spies. And they were like, no, actually they really are. And like the parents <laughs> admitted it to him and they were like, yeah, we're spies. And like it turned the whole kid's world upside down. Then he lived these double lives and they don't tell their loved ones about it. And they're completely secret. And then they they receive orders. They go to a drop site or something like that. And I, I honestly, the more we talk about it, and the more we uh, think about the and speculate about those different things, it really sounds like he was some sort of spy. He might have been. Let us know. Anybody listening to this, let us know if you guys want us to do an episode on secret spies of history. That would be a cool episode to do. That would be nifty. That would be a lot of fun. Who doesn't like spies? Right, Andrew. Oh, Andrew. I lied. I like spies. Let's get into the main main story tonight. Let's talk about Thomas Messick. Thomas. I'm just going to call him Tom. They referred to him as Tom a lot in the documentary. So uh, if anybody wants to see a visual representation of this case, head on over to the Missing 411, The Hunted on YouTube. It's free right now. Check it out. It's really interesting. Uh, Tom was 82 years old. He went missing on November 15, 2015, uh, on Lily Pond Road in Horicon, New York, not too far from Lake George. People associated with this case is Beverly Messick, Thomas's wife of 56 years, Rob Messick, Tom's son, Sid Sharp Jr., he's a longtime friend and hunting partner, roughly the same age as Tom, Sid Sharp III, which is Sid Sharp Jr.'s son, Al, who's a friend and hunting partner, and Joe, who's also a friend and hunting partner. Let's talk a little bit about Thomas Messick. He was an ex-Army Airborne soldier. He taught survival and hunting classes to the local population for licensing. He's very familiar with the local wilderness and animals, was not an excessive drinker, lost his right eye during an incident where gunpowder blew up in his face, and it also required 159 stitches in his left hand. He did not hear very well, and he required a hearing aid, and he also had heart problems. 
Now, let's jump into the story of Tom's missing. The family owned a camp or a large house near Brant Lake, New York, with three other families, one of those families being the Sharps. The families mostly hunted directly from the camp. On November 15, 2015, around lunchtime, Thomas, his son Rob, Sid Sharp, and his son, and two other men, Alan Joe, and one of their sons decided to go hunting at Lily Pond. The drive from the camp to Lily Pond was about two miles, and the trip only required them to travel on one road, that road being Lily Pond Road. Upon arriving at the pond, the four older gentlemen, all over the age of 80, started walking up the road away from the pond and one by one broke off from each other in 100-yard increments and entered the forest to sit and wait for an animal to come to them. These men were Thomas, Sid, Al, and Joe. The three sons, Rob, Sid the third, and another unnamed son, walked to the trail to get to the top of the ridge and push any animal in the area towards the older men who would be sitting, waiting, and ready to shoot. All seven of the men were carrying walkie-talkies. After the boys came off the hill and the hunt was deemed unsuccessful, all members attempted to search for Tom. The younger men searched in person, and the older men attempted to contact him via their walkie-talkies. After realizing that something may have gone wrong, one member went and got a hold of the sheriff's office, and the other men continued searching. The search evolved into the men splitting up into two parties one firing three-shot bursts in the air, a well-known signal for distress in the hunting community, a Marco Polo-type signal, if you will. The other party drove around, making a lot of noise to help Tom out of the woods if he was disoriented. When asked about the events that day, Tom's friend Sid claims to have heard a noise in the woods on the ridge. Now, this is something that's very interesting. It uh, doesn't really play out too much in the documentary or in any other um, accounts of this case that I read about online, but everyone seems to highlight this because this is very, very interesting. Now, Sid claims that he does not recognize the sound that he heard. He just says that it was different from anything else that he's ever heard before. Claims that the sound came from about 150 yards up on the hill that all the older men were facing while waiting for the boys to herd the animals to them. Sid's son, Sid III, confirms that his father talks about this sound frequently, sometimes randomly, when they are not even discussing the events of that day. I don't know if you guys know anything about the, the Lake George area. Are you guys familiar with that area at all? No. No. That's something that you said in New York, right? Yeah, in the Adirondack Mountain range or area. Um, I've, I've not been to anything in new york other than new york city uh it's kind okay. of one of those blow through states for me unfortunately oh uh, man don't make that mistake if you're ever in upstate new york and you like scenery uh, upstate new york is nah, nah. gorgeous we call them leafers uh dude i love it we, we get we got it my my i'm in pennsylvania so i got enough trees <laughs> so what is interesting about this area, and this is a little bit of favoritism coming out of me, right, is that this is extremely close to an area called Whitehall, New York. You guys familiar with what makes Whitehall, New York famous? Nope. They're halls. Okay. No. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's actually known as like the Bigfoot capital of the eastern portion of the United States. Oh. 
Yeah, so there's a famous Bigfoot, or, you know, there's probably multiple Bigfoot, but it's called the Beast of Whitehall. It is a very well-known story. Anybody can simply Google this. It's something that I have written down as a topic to talk about later on in this podcast, you know, a couple seasons away or whatever. We'll talk about it eventually. But the Beast of Whitehall is a very pronounced Bigfoot area. and that whole area, yeah, all the way through upstate New York, on the eastern portion of upstate New York, throughout Vermont, New Hampshire, a little bit of Maine, Massachusetts, there's actually a, a, a huge um, issue, actually, I, I would say, with this smaller Appalachian Bigfoot that is more menacing than its West Coast cousin, who that's a lot bigger. Um, so immediately when I read about the Adirondacks and the missing 411, that's when I got really excited because I'm the cryptid guy. You know, I really love cryptids. I really love urban legends and stuff. So this, this stuck out to me. And that's why I really chose this as the first uh, cluster to talk about is because some of these cases could be Bigfoot cases. And uh, I want to hear what you guys have to say about it. Well, so I can say um, we covered a case, uh, what, was it in the 70s or 80s? It was the 70s. 70s. So there was a case in the 70s, which we can talk about, like, another time, uh, where uh, supposedly Bigfoot uh, chucked a girl off a 400-foot tail uh, uh, waterfall, right? Yeah. Um, and the it left the remains there right but it also like uh strong r word it, 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 it assaulted it, it. it yeah it assaulted the the body yeah yeah, yeah. Hmm. uh so like the fact that it left the remains of this but it's also like uh, this was a a gentleman right so yeah. maybe it's the fact that it, it is the if it was a male running across another male that it was fighting for dominance, right? Because yeah. you see in, um, even if you have dogs uh, or other things, like that uh, inbred of dominance is bred in them, right? Uh, I have two uh, female dogs, and they definitely uh, fight to see who is going to be the alpha dog by, like, humping each other. Uh as a way of showing dominance, which is weird, but um, that's still like something co like instilled in things. So, like the fact that if uh, hundred percent Bigfoot is out there uh, and it knows it's its territory, uh, I don't mm -hmm. think they what do they say Bigfoots are pack animals or are they more something that would be like a like a wolf congregation or is it more like bears where it's like mama bear and her cublings and then like maybe uh papa bear is going off doing whatever he wants so i know that the, this is definitely a little bit off topic kind of went yeah. down a different path here but it's the infinite rabbit hole so let's do it anyways right it's a little bit of both and it depends mostly which geographical area you're talking about if you're talking about the west coast there's a lot of uh a lot of reports stating that there's singular Bigfoot. Sometimes they're in small families when there's a young one about. 
uh, but for the most part, uh, like a lot of animals will do, uh, they'll separate after a certain amount of time after the, the newborn is born. Um, but if you're talking about the ones in the eastern portion of the United States, even swamp apes uh, down in the south, um, and some of the ones that are that are supposedly around the Ozarks, you're talking about something that, that is, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a pack, but the more of like a community. I guess you can say, and they all have their, their, there's reports of these things being, you know, they set up sentries that, that stake lookouts so that the mother Sasquatches can be in the far center, you know, miles into the middle of these sentries that are, that are forming a circle around, you know, this, this central group full of mothers and children, um, that, you know, if if a baby Sasquatch is born, that it's going to cry, and you need to have enough distance for it to cry without being heard. And in the Appalachians, although there is a lot of area, uh, there's a there's a lot of space that's not being uh, taken up by humans. It's not as prevalent as it is out on the West Coast. There is vast spaces out there in the West Coast that Sasquatch can be without ever being hurt. Now, that's a little bit harder out here in the Appalachians, so they think that the structure of the, the families here and Sasquatches are a little bit different. I know that's a little bit off topic. Does that answer your question at all? Yeah. Okay. Um, Thanks for taking that trip with me. Yeah, no problem, man. I will talk about Bigfoot any day of the week. Um, so, Let's uh let's dive a little bit more into this because I got some more for you guys, okay? The formal search for Tom began on the morning of Monday, September 16th, 2015. The New York State Forest Rangers were put in charge of the formal search. According to Undersheriff Sean Lemoire, the area was being searched was strangely void of any life. They didn't see any squirrels, chipmunks, deer, or any signs that they had been there. The Air National Guard joined the search shortly after and begun conducting flyovers with FLIR systems. The area was searched in every way imaginable. Ponds and swamps were searched by dive teams. Sides of the roads were searched by volunteers and dog teams. The woods were searched by way of what, what they call bump lines, with people stretched out five feet from each other, going from one line to another, creating some form of a grid pattern. In total, 50 to 60 different departments responded to the search and aided in different ways. Over 300 people aided in the search with Thomas Messick Sr. No weapon, no clothes, no sign of Tom was ever found. The thing that sticks out to me the most in this, well, second most, because I have a little bit more information for you guys. I'm going to leave you on a, on a cliff you know, here for a second. Let's talk about this case. The, the second most interesting thing about this case is that absolutely nothing was found of an 82-year-old man who went missing 100 yards away from the next closest person. Nothing. So let's talk about this for a second. What I know a lot of people are listening to this, and I think that the, the first thing that's popping, popping in people's heads is that this elderly gentleman had a medical emergency and died. Most likely a heart attack, could have been a, a stroke, whatever it was. But where's the body? That's what's strange about this. 
So what do you guys think? So are there bobcats up in the uh, uh, New York area, right? Oh, oh God, absolutely. yes. Absolutely. Okay. So, Dude, there's bobcats in our backyard. Like, Yeah. Like, the, the bigger cats are known to uh, take their prey up into a tree, right? Well, so, that's a leopard. That's a leopard thing, but not a bobcat thing. And bobcats aren't that big, bro. I think oh, mountain lions would do it. Mountain lions? Do mountain lions carry up? That's what I was probably thinking it's, then. It would be possible, but mountain lions are more den dwellers. So, like I said, it's it's really more of a leopard thing uh, to to pull uh, prey up into trees. Mountain lions are more likely to pull you into cover uh, to consume you. Bobcats would, simply um, aren't large enough to do it. Okay, yeah, but like there are animals that like hide their their prey, right? Most most predators will try to move their kill into a safe area uh for consumption like because you're gonna have to fight off scavengers maybe maybe competing uh, competing predators uh especially if there's like uh, an issue that year with uh prey items uh being more scarce than usual you get predators invading other predators territories and stuff uh, and then the, the the biggest thing here to really think about, because a, a predator animal is something I considered too when I first heard this case. Um, to our knowledge, the eastern mountain lion is extinct. The like I said, bobcat, it's not possible. And uh, the only leopards we currently have in the United States are in Arizona. So it's very, very, very unlikely that a large cat had anything to do with this. Uh, Though the lack of footprints in itself um, would have been uh, more cat than, say, wolf. Uh, And then the other thing is it would have to be something like a mountain lion because a mountain lion possesses the power to uh, crush the human skull with a bite, right? And... The the thing is, though, is that there was no mess. There was no sign of a struggle. Uh, the mountain lion wouldn't have had a use for this gentleman's gun. He would have dropped that. He's hunting. He's got his gun in his hands. It's not just strung across his back. You know what I mean? He's waiting for that opportunity to pull that trigger. The gun would have been there. Maybe not the clothes, but the gun 100% would have been on that ground. If it was a mountain lion and it grabbed him by the back of the head and crushed his skull, there'd be blood all over that rock he was sitting on. Um. It, it, it's very it would be a very large stretch to look at a predaceous animal um it, it could have been a bear i guess but even barely fairly large tracks and that doesn't explain the gun being gone right and the the problem with a bear is a bear is going to eat you right there that bear is not afraid of nothing uh, i know a lot of black bears are the the bear species that you're going to see in new york um and the, the the smaller ones are a little bit more cautious, depending on what size, you know, if it was a bear that did attack this gentleman. The smaller ones may take the the man and hide it or go away into more of its territory. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bigger ones, if this was a big black bear, that thing's going to eat it right there. It's not afraid enough. Plus, plus bears are not clean killers. Like there would have been a struggle. Bears, when bears, like they, they typically call it a maiming when somebody survives it. Bears will shred you, all your face, your torso, everything. There would have been a disaster 
Oh, there would have been shreds of clothing all over the place had it been a bear. So what we have left is it 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 would have had to have been a mountain lion, but the eastern cougar does not exist. It, it, it's extinct to our knowledge. Well, hold on. It's it's been spotted on trail cams. I mean, this, this is technically a cryptid, right? People report yeah. seeing the eastern mountain lion, and there are trail cam pictures. We can just can't find a living specimen. Sorry, Andrew. I know you're trying to get oh, no, no. So I was just saying, like, that we factored out like actual creatures that we know mm-hmm. right so then it other than like what if it's getting um so let's say it was picked up by uh bigfoot right or another uh animal that is not been discovered uh we can also go the route of uh it was picked up by uh grays Right, aliens. That would make that would make the most sense to be completely honest with you. I'm gonna battle it, and I'm gonna come back with something else after Andrew is done. Go ahead. Yeah. Um. I also I'm I'm in the skeptic, and I know aliens exist, right? Because we would be dumb to think that we're the only uh, creatures out there that are planet that survived. Whether they would want to care about coming here, um, and see, so like. For me, the reason why there's the these all these different things, uh, and the reason why I feel like this hunter would be picked up is, uh, if I was studying, uh, like if I study uh, ant, right, um, and I look at an ant, I would want to see why this one ant survived or how it was able to survive with one leg, right. So if I see a human running around with only one eye and a messed up face, like I would want to uh, see how this thing is able to survive and it doesn't look like the everyday normal human, right? But like, how are the cave systems uh, is the the next thing I wanted to talk about. How are the cave systems up in New York? Are there a lot of uh, caves that maybe this person could have fell into and gone into? Because I know here in Pennsylvania, we have a crap load of caves. Yeah, and I would... I would think that there's a pretty decent cave system up in the Adirondacks. I can't answer that for sure, though. I actually don't know off the top of my head. I know yeah. that the whole Appalachian Mountain Range and the the ranges that kind of stem off of it are riddled with cave systems. A lot of them are, are eroded in because of how old the Appalachians are in general. But for the most part, yeah, there's probably tons of them i mean i was gonna say like you also have the idea of okay aliens whatever caves um then you have the human element right so what if there's a family up there of serial killers or cannibals or uh maybe one of the people that he was with was just trying to uh make sure that he never came back from the camping trip right and even though it was his family friend and his uh, kids, uh, who's to say that they didn't get in disagreement about like the will or something, right? And uh, they all have an agreement and be like, oh yeah, we lost him. We couldn't find anything and hid the body to the best of their ability. I don't know. I, I don't think this was a human. So this is what I came to. And again, playing a little bit of favoritism here. 
I think that the Bigfoot idea makes more sense than the Grays. One, Sid Sr., or Jr., sorry, the, the old man, said that he heard something up on the ridge uh, before the boys got there. Let's say that the boys went up on top of that ridge and did chase something down, right? What is one of the most documented uh, forms of communication for Bigfoot? Tree smacks. They take a large stick or a rock, they smack it up against a tree as a form of communication, whether it be alarms or whatever. What if this thing was up on the ridge watching the old men and got startled by the young men coming up the, the backside of the ridge, smacked the tree to alert other Sasquatches, ran down to where he thought was clear, ran into the old man who was the farthest up the road, by the way. So he was he was one of the end caps out of the four older gentlemen, ran down, grabbed him, ran, either ran off with him. I mean, I would, I would assume he would have ran off with him, whether he killed him or, you know, kept him alive. And I want to refer to the Albert Osman story. Are you guys familiar with that? No. So Albert Osman was a Canadian prospector who was reportedly abducted by a Sasquatch and held captive for six days. And the only way that this man uh, was able to free himself from the clutches of four Sasquatches, an older male, an older female, and two younger ones, one of them, well, at least one of the younger ones being female, was that, and again, this was a long time ago. This was uh, early, early 90s or 1900s, I think it was like 1925-ish in that area. He was a, a lumberjack woodsman and prospector, and he had a tin of chewing tobacco. And this Sasquatch saw him put some chewing tobacco in his mouth, stole the tin from him, ate the chewing tobacco, and started puking all over the place. And as the all the Sasquatches were tending to the one sick one, he was able to run away. Now, again, this is one of the only uh, cases, documented cases, of Sasquatch kidnapping or abduction. But it is a story of a Sasquatch abduction. What if this happened to Thomas Messick? What do you think about that? Like a, uh, the only the only problem that I have again with the large creature, not that an eighty year old man is hard to overpower, but I mean he had a gun, right? And you know a panicking Sasquatch is not going to be walking slowly and sneaking up on him. He's going to come charging through. There's going to be footprints. There would have been a sign of a struggle somewhere. Well, what if now this? This older gentleman ha did have a heart condition. He was missing an eye, and he had horrible hearing. What if this, this Sasquatch startled Thomas Messick and caused him to have a heart attack at the sight of this creature? I mean, think of it. Thomas is, what, 82 years old, I think he was? And he sees a Sasquatch for the first time in his life, and his health is already uh, degrading. I don't know, man. This is this could be a really bad mixture for him. It could be. It could be. I just there's just no sign of anything anywhere. That's right. the thing. 
And I guess that would also lead into the fact that you're saying like it's an old man, right? And he doesn't look like a traditional old man uh, would be. So um, having the fact that like it looks not uh, as normal, right? That would be like a good test subject, right? For something. Now he he got that uh, in the war, right? Like the gun explosion happened in like a World War Two or something like that. That was in the what said in the documentary, or they just say gun they, explosion. They just said it was a gunpowder explosion. They didn't yeah. say exactly what the circumstances or what he was doing, uh, but I know that it messed up his face, his eye. He lost his eye from it. And his, I believe his left hand had a ton of stitches from it. It was severely mangled as well. But, um, yeah, so that's, you know, personally what I think. That that, that makes sense to me. Um, I, I'm in agreement with you, CJ, that I don't think this was a cat. Um, I also don't think it was a bear. I don't think it was coyotes. I think that those would have been either too loud. There would have been too much going on. Now, you have to also think that 100 yards away is where the next gentleman was, mm -hmm. right? Because these, these gentlemen were in gaps of 100 yards apart from each other. So imagine sitting at one end of a football field, and the next closest person to you is a football field away. You're in your 80s, probably can't hear or uh, see very well. So this whole thing could have happened 100 yards away from the next closest person. And you would never know it happened. I mean, even for us, like, you know, we're in our 30s. Could we have been able to notice that something like this had happened 100 yards away from us in the woods? I don't no. know. No, definitely. Okay. Definitely not. Especially when you're up on a mountain, the air is thinner. Sound does not travel as well. So um, at 100 yards, you would hear a lot less up on top of a mountain than you would hear at 100 yards down here. Um. And it, predation definitely is out of it. Like there, this was not predation. Um, the only the only way we could really like work in the Sasquatch theme is maybe maybe Bigfoot uh, came up behind him and just picked his old ass up off the rock and walked away. Right. Um, but you'd imagine the guy would have screamed. You know, at at a hundred yards, at a hundred yards, you're going to hear a scream. You know what I'm saying? Unless you get clubbed. There would have been blood had he been clubbed. Like it's, it is it's, it's there was no violence. It, like that's the key thing here is there was no violence. So maybe a Sasquatch crept up on him. I still don't like that theory. I like Andrew's idea of the aliens. See, and the fact that the gun was missing too, right? So even if a Sasquatch would uh, have picked it up, would it know to take the gun with it? Well, it depends on if the gun was strapped, like if it had like the shoulder strap. Depend. Like another thing that I was thinking about was the walkie-talkie. Was the walkie-talkie in a pocket? Was he holding it? You well, know, there, there's a lot of weird shit. There, there's no way that the guy didn't have because the the whole idea was them to flush the animals to him. So right. he would definitely had the gun held right for mm -hmm. the animals to come to him. He's not like shouldering it or, or putting it like uh, a carrying or something he would definitely have been doing that and i know personally for me i don't have a strap for my guns if i'm holding it right i have a strap for it when i'm not like when i put it on my back right i put it on whatever yeah 
I mean, this is this is also an older gentleman. He's 82 years old. You know, he's sitting on a rock. And I mean, honestly, is he going to spend hours holding on to a gun or an hour or two holding on to a gun ready? No, I mean, he might be waiting for some sort of sign and then he's going to pull the gun out. And honestly, I mean, I don't he would know. Have had the, he would have had the gun at ease either leaning against the rock near him or in his lap. Um, yeah, because when you're hunting, when you're hunting, uh, you, you don't want to make the noise. You want to, you want your movements to be as limited as possible. So you don't necessarily want to be at the ready constantly, but you do need that weapon in a position where you can move the least amount and generate the least amount of noise. We're also talking about animals that can hear things way better than humans can. Um, right. Now here's this theory. Here's this theory. He's sitting on the rock. He's waiting. Um, he hears a sound behind him, a stick crack, whatever. Maybe he thinks there's a deer, uh, behind him back the way he came. He wanders in that direction, trying to stalk the animal, um, get, gets further away than he intended to. Cause you know, like when you're excited about something, you'll get that tunnel vision. Maybe he walks a little bit further than he really meant to. Uh, fall, falls into a cavern like Andrew suggested. Maybe Bigfoot grabbed him at that point, and really, like the site of the rock was not the abduction point. Maybe the abduction point was another hundred, two hundred yards away from where he was because he was stalking what he thought to be a, uh, a deer or something. Um, we aren't talking about a hunter. That's you're, you're talking about a hunter who's been doing this for his whole life, you know. So he, uh, he hears a stick break. He's going to be on the alert. He's going to be waiting for this sort of thing. You have to take into consideration his degradation of hearing, though. Right, right. He has a degradation of hearing, sure, but, you know, he could have had other senses that would have picked up, too. Maybe he could feel vibration. You know, I'm just saying, not necessarily hearing, but something got his attention, and he wanders in that direction thinking he's about to take something down. And then the point of abduction is not where they left him but at another location and um because like uh, in the documentary they did they did the uh the gridding with the string but they only did it at the area from where he was abducted right they were where he was waiting you know if he wandered 200 yards that grid would have been different you you know what i'm saying Um, i would i you know the thing about the documentary is i don't know if everything was included you would think that if there's a search and rescue mission, right? And hold on, let me refer to my notes here. Uh, the search and rescue, the, the search lasted 12 days. So I don't think that they're going to just look in that one specific area for 12 days. You would think that they would at least cover a good couple hundred yards away in every direction looking right. for this. Well, listen, so I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate with you for that. Okay. Um, you're saying they're so they did search, right? Yeah. But uh, of those searchers, three hundred were volunteers, right? Uh, and were they actually trained on the proper way to search? So maybe of those searchers, um, on in that twelve days, maybe one of them, if they knew nature a little bit better, would have stumbled across uh, this person. And um, the also the the caveat to, in addition to that, if they did have dogs with them, four cents 
scent only lasts for up to what, like 24 hours or something like that. A strong scent would only last up to. You would also, you would also have to ask when did it rain right in those 12 days? Because if, if you say for, we'll just say for argument's sake, it does last 24 hours. If it rains, it's going to cut that down real quick. True. Which it did. So Real quick, I, I just did a quick Google search. Uh, how long can a bloodhound follow a scent? The answer is up to 300 hours. Uh, but you are you are correct. Um, with the rain, that does put quite a damper on things. And it did rain shortly after the the search began. Yeah, because that's and, part of the that's one of the things with the missing four hundred one cases is there's always some sort of weather event shortly after these people go missing. So let's jump into the last bit here, okay? Because this is where it turns and gets really creepy. The case gets stranger when one agency shows up to aid in the search, the FBI. The documentary details how the FBI does not get involved in missing cases of adults. The FBI's Frequently Asked Questions page on the FBI.gov website states this response when discussing missing persons cases. And I got this directly off of FBI.gov, and this is quoted. The FBI will initiate a kidnapping investigation involving a missing child of tender years, even though there is no known interstate aspect. Tender years is generally defined as a child 12 years or younger. The FBI will monitor other kidnapping situations when there is no evidence of interstate travel, and it offers assistance from various entities, including the FBI laboratory. So, does it say anything about older gentlemen or older persons? No. Only children under the age of 12 that also has interstate issues. So meaning that a child was kidnapped and went across state lines. Now to continue. Now the FBI does track missing persons by way of the NCIC, National Crime Information Center, but they do not enter or gather info for this database. That is done by local law enforcement or by the parents of missing children. The NCIC is not just a database on missing people either. It covers all crimes. There are many reports of the FBI monitoring missing person cases very similar to this case. What about this case and others like it are they interested in? So why are they there? Why is the FBI at a case where an 82-year-old man with no crossing over borders of states, no children involved, no nothing, why is the Federal Bureau of Investigation, obviously there's no homeland security issues going on here. Why are they there? Hey everybody, bear with us while we take this quick break. What's up everybody? This is Jeff from the Shadowband Podcast, where we challenge conventional thoughts and overruling dogmas from ancient discoveries tucked away by the Smithsonian to modern genetic manipulation carried out and funded by the world's elite ruling class. 
Nothing is too taboo as we search for lost, hidden, and suppressed truths about the nature of our reality. Find the Shadow Band Podcast on all platforms or visit shadowbandpodcast.com to join in on the fun. Now, back to the Infinite Rabbit Hole Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. I imagine if there's an, enough cases in area, like they may not investigate individual mercy, missing persons cases, but if you're developing, like like we said previously, like a cluster, uh, we go past just a simple missing persons case. You're talking about potential serial killers and things like that. I imagine they'd get involved with. True, but the only cases from the Adirondacks that the missing 401 covers in detail are the case of Tom Messick, Fred Drum, and a case that we're going to cover a little bit later of Douglas Legg, which happened in 1971. Now, Fred Drum and Tom Messick both happened in 2015. Um, but other than that, that's pretty much it. Right, but those are the cases missing 411 is covering. What about other missing cases that um, they didn't cover? Uh, yes. The ones that are clearly uh, someone killing people. Yeah, okay. I get what you're saying there. That makes sense. I'm, I'm, you know. I'm pooping what you're scooping. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, guess I could also say, like, there's got to be, like, an MIB. I know that's, like, the fake thing, but, like, the men in black. Do you think, like, the people seeing these FBI cases are just, like the uh, division that deals with aliens or could be with aliens, if that is such a thing? Hmm. Like they were, they came and they were dressed like FBI agents. They smelled like them. They looked like them. They sounded like them, but they were MIB. Yeah. Cause like, so the men in black, that's, that's a conspiracy theory, right? Or is that proven mm-hmm. to be true? No, that's a, that's a conspiracy theory, but there's a lot of evidence there. Yeah, so if it is a case where these missing events are aliens coming to pick us up, right? You think there would be someone like a government agency or something, an agency that would try to keep this stuff in in tact, in track, Mm -hmm. right? So I would see them investigating the site of uh something being dressed up or whatever because even um when it comes to uh doing stuff like i know it's hollywood uh playing it up but they definitely have vans where it's like oh like flowers right it's not going to be like hey we're the fbi in this van right um but like because you you were you dealt with like how much is it for um because you were in the navy correct um i am in the navy yes so uh and you deal with helicopters mostly 
as a maintainer yeah but I'm, yeah. I'm aware of some of the missions or most of the missions that they do yes so how much does it take for a helicopter like an average flight like of fuel how much would that be would that be something they could expense out like uh mm-hmm. are, are there um helicopters that would be able to fly across um or would it be more feasible nowadays with like drones, right, to to fly over things? The cost it takes to get, we'll just talk about the H sixty, which is what most people are familiar with as the Black Hawk helicopter of the Army. The Navy has uh, an equivalent version called the Seahawk. Um, but let's just talk about the uh, the MH sixty, right? It is extremely expensive. Not just fuel wise, but mostly, you know, fuel fuel is definitely expensive. It's too expensive, man. I mean, if you're if you're talking about these little uh, search helicopters or news copters, I I don't know too much about them. I would assume that they're a lot cheaper to fly, but still probably not very wallet friendly. Uh, drones definitely are a lot cheaper. If you want to talk about cost efficiency, does that help you out at all? Yeah, like so there's no justification for me if it costs that much money, there's no justification for me to send it up for a missing person, right? Like I would not purposely do that. So like I'm not gonna have like copters flying around looking for me or something like that. Absolutely you will. They still do? Absolutely. Um, so in the Navy, we're on the, what's called the seawall here in, in Norfolk Naval Station. And when I was part of the HSC 22 Sea Knights, we would do what's called a, it's like a watch bill. It's called a watch bill, right? So we're on watch. We're standing by in case of a missing persons or a search and rescue mission that pops up, right? So we'll have it for an entire week. If somebody goes missing or a a boat sinks or there's a nasty storm that comes through, I remember this one time, um, we were about ready to kick rocks and go home for the night, and all of a sudden we got a, you know, nasty storm blew in about an hour hour or two prior, and we got the call. Uh, We have to go. We have to have an aircraft ready to go, get up in the air, and go do a search Gosh, I don't, I don't remember exactly where it was, but I know it wasn't very close to us. And we ended up having to send the bird up three times throughout the night, and I ended up putting in like an extra ten hours of work that night, um, just you know, hanging by, waiting for this aircraft to come back. Long answer short, yes, helicopters are absolutely used in the case of missing persons, no matter whether it's one person or a group of people. Um, they they do, and a lot of times it's multiple helicopters looking for one person. CJ, did you have anything to add, man? No, no, not really. It just uh, it just doesn't really shock me that the FBI would be involved. I mean, just I think people are thinking a little closed mindedly. Like, why would they involve themselves in this case? Well, it's not. I I really believe it's a. It's not just this case. It's you think it's a this bigger case, picture kind of thing. Right, yeah. So it it doesn't shock me at the FBI. If he was like, oh, the CIA turned up, I'd be like, all right, that's weird. But 
mm-hmm. you know, if, if this is uh, if they're like noticing a trend from California to the East Coast, you know, of of certain scenarios where these people go missing um, or certain styles or, uh, or the way that there's a lack of evidence and then like the firearms aren't being located. And there's like this like trend and like commonalities in these cases over X amount of time. It doesn't it doesn't surprise me that they were there looking at a, a much broader a spectrum of cases. Okay. I get that. I respect that. So let's wrap this up for Thomas Messick. Okay. The, all in all, there was 12 days of the official search. Neither Tom or any of his belongings have ever been found. So referring back to the profile points that David Polites goes by when organizing the missing 401 cases, seven of the 11 Profile points were were met during this case. Those are there was a point of separation. The time of disappearance was right. It was near water. There was a weather event either uh, during the time that he went missing or shortly after. He had a disability or illness. Canines were unable to track him, and it was in the middle of a geographical cluster. The ones that were not met were that there were no boulder fields. Uh, He was not found in an area previously searched. There was no sign of missing clothing. And there was no unknown cause of death because a body was never recovered. Did they make mention of if there were any circles of mushrooms nearby? Mm, Not that I know of. Now, just a side note, I mean, I'll probably end up cutting this off, but isn't a circle of mushrooms, isn't the actual fungus in the dead center of the circle? It's more, he's he's being like fairies. The, uh, uh, a, a circle of mushrooms is uh, a fairy circle, or was it called fairy something? It's a fairy circle. Yeah, yeah fairy circle. So he's trying to bring the fae into it, like oh, cryptids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually am unfamiliar with fae. Uh, that's not so almost almost every single um fairy related disappearance um out of mythology and common folktale follows exactly what we're talking about really yeah huh. i mean not necessarily with the weather event or anything but uh missing no nothing is ever found uh there's never any evidence left behind there's never a sign of a struggle um they just gone i was always told uh you know that if you see a ring of mushrooms which is you know not too common but i've seen quite a bit in my my life that the actual fungus is dead center and that the roots come out from the center underneath the ground and come up to the surface as mushrooms. When when you look at when you look at a fungus like that, um yeah. it's it's expansive for miles, miles and miles right. and miles and miles and miles. Uh and that's actually what trees use to communicate with each other is fungus. So um maybe maybe what you said is correct, but I was I was just trying to relate it to a potential cryptid is really all I was okay. trying to do. I respect that. I like that. It's my favorite. All right. So real quick, um, the documentary also touches on the missing case of Fred Drum. Fred Drum was 68 years old. He went missing on November 24, 2015. 
Uh, he went missing a few days before the official search for Thomas Messick concluded. Uh, this happened 40 miles south of where Tom Messick went missing, uh, and it happened in Schulerville, New York. On the 10th day of the search for Tom Messick, the conservation rangers for the state of New York were pulled off of Tom's case and set to Fred Drum's case. Mrs. Drum attended a banquet on Thanksgiving Day, and when she returned to their home, Fred was not there. His car and all his belongings were still there. This event ended the same as Tom Messick's. No evidence was ever found of what may have happened, and neither was any trace of Fred. So another one that's very short. Um, I think that this one, you know, didn't it, it happened on private property, or as far as I know, it happened on private property. And I think that the only reason why this one was even included was simply because uh, another older gentleman, this Fred, was only sixty-eight years old. You know, I think he's 14 years younger than Tom was, uh, but because of the close proximity and the general uh, time frame that he went missing, lined up very similar. So there, there are some similarities in these cases. What do you guys think? Anything very strange about the Fred Drum case? Was there a circle of mushrooms nearby? <laughs> I, again, I don't know. <laughs> no idea. Was he out hunting as well, or what was the... So, I have to actually do some additional research into Fred Drum. The, the documentary was very vague about this case. And apparently, he had gone for a walk. Uh, there was a path that was created over the years that they owned this property that went around their entire property. So, he was just walking his fence line. And apparently... Uh, he did this very often, so when his wife came home, she just assumed that he was out walking the fence line like he normally does, and when he never showed back up, she started getting concerned. That is it. I mean, I have, I've, I can't find anything else about this case. This is it. If he just got tired of his wife and went out for milk. You know, really, I was thinking the same thing. But why is his truck going? Why is a man going to leave his truck? Because he's not stupid. <laughs> Let her think I'm dead. <laughs> that's not up, well. I mean that that that's possible. Maybe we don't know what their home life was like. Maybe she was awful, yeah, true. or maybe he was just a dickhead. Maybe he maybe? maybe he fucking maybe he ditched out on her for some younger model who thought she thought he had money or something. Like yeah. maybe maybe he was a dick. Maybe she was a dick. But this really sounds like a very smart man made himself disappear. We you wouldn't take your truck. You wouldn't take your shit. Like. If they're going to find you, really? So when they look up your license plate and they find you immediately? Mm, Okay. Because you're not leaving the county. You're not hitting that turnpike. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Those toll booths are going to take a picture of you as you go through them. They're going to know where the fuck you went. (laughs) I don't know, man. I don't know. I I don't think that this case is as strange as Thomas Messick's case was um i don't know i don't have an opinion about the fred drum case i wish i knew more that was the problem with fred drum is that i just don't know anything i tried looking for stuff i tried adding some more uh information so if anybody listening to this episode has any more information on the fred drum case please let us know we we can update everybody on the next national park mysteries episode and uh kind of answer some questions but 
if you want to support CJ's theory about fairies, infinite rabbit hole at gmail.com. If you want to support Andrew's theory about aliens, the truth is out there, my guys. And rabbithole at gmail.com. All right. All right. So let's conclude this episode of National Park Mysteries. I know we didn't go over a lot of cases today and that the front end was kind of dull and dry, but I wanted to get that information out to you guys to kind of set the stage for everything going forward because we do have a couple more episodes that are planned. Um, hopefully we, we made up for it at the end. Final thoughts, everybody. I want to change this up a little bit. Okay, because we have one guy who thinks Bigfoot did it, one guy who thinks aliens did it, one guy who thinks fairies might have done it. We're all in the woo today. Okay, and that's not that's not always the case. If this is your first episode of Infinite Rabbit Hole, we're not all in the woo every time. Usually there's somebody here with with you know some kind of common sense. Um, but if you guys had to say that We'll talk about Tom Messick because that's the big case, right? If you guys had to say that Tom Messick went missing due to anything other than woo, how would he have gone? What do you think happened? I think, I think, I, I honestly think that he, uh, for whatever reason, was under the impression that there was something that he wanted to fire his rifle at in another direction, and he, and he went and stalked off after it. Hmm. And and maybe got lost, maybe started wandering, maybe maybe he fell in one of the uh, in like a sinkhole, little cave or something that Andrew's talking about. For maybe he hit a body of water and got washed downstream, or you know something, uh, something something that caused uh, and like and if he expired, you know we we know that uh, the woods and and wildlife and Mother Nature has a way of disposing of bodies very very quickly, so. Right. I I just I it was fairies or he wandered off. Andrew, what do you think, man? Uh So like using the idea of like moving, right? If he mm-hmm. moved around even though he was an older guy, what if like he was crawling, not crawling, but he was going after stuff and because of his eyesight, uh maybe he leaned on something he shouldn't lean on. And a big fucking tree fell on him, right? That is actually a theory that I read. Wait, you read that a tree fell on him? Hold on. I've I've read a I've been playing a lot of Valheim, and I found out uh, for people that don't know Valheim, it's like uh, Viking Minecraft. Um, trees are the most deadliest animals in Mother Nature because I have died chopping down too many trees in oh, that geez. game. And I know trees are big. They're not going to, like, decide whether it wants to eat you or or not eat you. It's just going to fall on you. And you're not going to be able to support the weight of a full-grown-ass tree. You ever heard a tree fall in the woods, man? No, but I've never seen a bear shit in the woods either. I mean, I've come across bear shit in the woods, but... I've seen bear shit, yes, but not actual seeing it make the, the dookie. If a big-ass tree fell on this man, someone would have heard a tree fall. Would they? Because what if that was the weird sound that they heard? It was a tree falling. I just sent a message to the group chat, Messenger. I actually just sent you the link to the Reddit post that I read. Look at the very first comment. Make me do things when I... Can't really do things at the same time. 
Uh, <laughs> the, the guy who was like a tree fell on him. Yeah. yeah. It says word for word. My guess is a tree fell on him, and that's why his body hasn't been found. I'm a hunter myself, and when you're out in the woods and you hear a loud cracking noise, nine out of ten times it's tree falling, and it happens sometimes with zero notice. I hope they find him and his family gets some closure. So now we're going to blame the trees. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a trees. It's a tree. It's a tree cryptid. <laughs> it's a cryptid tree. They they All communicated right. they communicated with that fungus under the dirt, and they got word from the city trees that homeboy threw a soda can on the ground outside, and they were like, "Oh, we'll get you. We'll learn this whole lesson real fast." Throwing this theory out, right? If it's not mm -hmm. a tree, and it's not whatever, uh, I'm going to say the human element, right? So, um. There are cases of people hitchhiking throughout the Appalachian, um, and some of those people going through aren't always there. Like, not full uh, bag of Happy Meal fries, whatever. Like, a couple of them fell out. So maybe they ran a, he cr ran across someone that uh, had a disagreement with him, or maybe he had a disagreement with the people that he was out with, and the possibility that it is a cover-up of covering uh, the murder or um, attempted murder uh, for it. Now, the fact that it would be a human uh, knowing or, or knowledge of that, uh, being able to maybe strike him in the back of the head or something, so then there wouldn't be signs of struggle or wouldn't be signs of uh, anything left over, right? Mm -hmm. Because that, that was the whole thing. Like, there's no... There wasn't anything left, right? Right. So, like, it's definitely sounded like premeditated or not premeditated. Then, uh, at least like second degree, right? You're you're right. making an action and then cleaning up from your action uh, for that. Okay. All right. So, my non-woo-woo circumstances or ideas that could have happened, right? I got two of them. One of them, my original idea was that he had some sort of lack of mental judgment. You know, I got to remember this guy is 82 years old. What if he had a lapse in mental uh, capabilities and wandered off? Um, you know, people do go see now in their older ages. Uh, what if he simply got confused and startled and walked off and just walked forever who knows and eventually uh met his demise miles away from or a mile away from where he was supposed to be unfortunately mm -hmm. i think that is a realistic uh possibility another one uh that i didn't think of until cj had actually talked about what if he was tracking an animal uh of distance or what you know thought he was what if what if there was like a white-tailed deer that did get pushed down off that that ridge and that white tail went in between thomas and the next gentleman instead of taking the shot in the direction of his friend maybe he got up and trailed that deer away from them you know, uh, like it, it passed through in between the two gentlemen and he got up and started walking towards it backwards away from, uh, 
against the way he was originally facing. Um, I think that's also another possibility. Um, my final thoughts on this whole thing. This is a, a, a very sad and disturbing story. I, I hate to think that somebody met their demise in the middle of the woods, um, not surrounded by friends and family, and at least immediately close to them. Um, this this case really touched me. I, I don't know why. You know, I just I felt for this gentleman. Um, I hope that it's you know eventually some answers or some questions can be answered for his family and that they can find some kind of closure. Uh, you guys have any closing comments? I'm just uh, just a last minute thought, wondering if uh, maybe, uh, and I'm not familiar with the local wildlife completely there, but some sort of poisonous or venomous uh, insect or other animal maybe tagged him and he had a, or, or maybe he like stuck his hand in like a mushroom or something. He shouldn't have stuck his hand and ate a snack and mm-hmm. uh, maybe uh, caused uh, hallucinations, auditory or visual. Um, which would have caused them to wander off as well. It's yeah. pretty easy to come into contact with with chemicals uh, out out in the wild, uh, naturally naturally occurring uh, substances and chemicals that would do that to you. So, yeah, maybe he ate a mushroom or something. And CJ, I, I think that's a that's actually a, a very good possibility. Um, I like that. Well, it, it makes sense. Not that I like it. It, it makes sense. But um, that has been. The end of National Park Mysteries Part 3, The Adirondack Mountains. Before you finish up with this episode, just know that we are actually releasing two episodes today. Uh, We are going to start focusing on bonus episodes, bonus material for you guys, and we're going to give you a little bit of a taste. So hang tight. The other episode dropped today with this episode. It'll be clearly marked as a bonus episode, so check it out. We have one more case to go over uh, in the Adirondack Mountains. It won't be too long, um, but it is extremely interesting. So check it out, guys. And that's it. That's all I got for you. Fairies did it. Fairies did it. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Infinite Rabbit Hole. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so at infiniterabbithole at gmail.com. Follow us at facebook.com forward slash infiniterabbithole. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash infiniterh. Follow us on Instagram at infinite underscore rabbit underscore hole. We're always looking for someone that has a story to share. So if you feel like you've experienced a strange encounter with something that you can't explain, reach out to us. Let us know. Come on, have a good time, tell your story. And if for some reason you don't want to show up on a podcast, send us a letter in our email in a format that we can read to the fans, and we'll be more than happy to read it to everybody. Well, that's all for this episode. We'll see you next time down the infinite rabbit hole.